Welcome to Doctor Who A to Z, a show that covers everything Doctor Who from beginning to end, from 1963 to present, from Hartnell to Gatwa, from Auton to Zygon. What's up, Whovians? Welcome back to Doctor Who A to Z. My name's Alan. And I'm Josh. And I'm Ashley. Woohoo. And this week we are talking about 60th anniversary special number two, Wild Blue Yonder, written by Russell T. Davies. And this happened over this past weekend over on Disney Plus everywhere in the world except for the UK and Ireland. Let's talk about Wild Blue Yonder. What did you what's your overall impressions of this thing first? We're going to we're going to keep it kind of light to start with and then we'll jump into spoilers a little bit later. So if you haven't seen this one yet, it's okay. We're not going to ruin anything for you, but we surely suggest that you go and watch it as soon as you can. All right, who wants to jump us off? Well, before we get started, I'm actually curious because I was super busy over the weekend and I haven't talked to you guys since last week. Yeah. And, you know, normally we, we you know, we kind of get uh, feedback and talk a little bit about things before we record. But I haven't talked to you guys about this at all. And so I'm really curious on whether how well you guys know me and if you think that I like this episode or not. I think you like this episode. I went back and forth on this question because I thought about this a lot. <laughs> like, <clears throat> this is one of those episodes that you might like really like. It could be right down your wheelhouse, or you could hate it. And I, I, I don't know. Uh, I want to <laughs> say that you like it, but at the same time, there's something in me that says that you absolutely hate it. Because I'm of a strange mind of this episode. Yeah. Myself. Yeah. I kind of am too. I think you really like it because it is so unexpected. It kind of throws the whole like Dr. Donna paradigm to the side and does something that you never would have expected. And I think that you like that. I fucking love this episode. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it that, was, that's where I was leaning. It's a, I mean, you want to talk in my wheelhouse. I really, really loved it. It has just all the things that I love about Doctor Who. I love it when it's weird. and I love mm -hmm. it when it's dark. And I love when it's just is doing things that uh, you don't see all the time and high concept. And this yep. had it all. Yeah, it really. I, I, I mean, is it perfect? No, because. God damn it. Russell can't help himself and has got to throw in his little RTDisms and do throwaway gags that if you stop and think about the implication of his stupid throwaway <laughs> gag about what it actually means, it like has huge implications on the series altogether just for a throwaway gag. But whatever. That's just Russell. But um, <laughs> setting that aside, like loved everything else about this episode. What about you guys? And that's the reason that I kind of thought that you might know that you might really like it because I can usually gauge when you really like something by me not really liking something. <laughs> and mm. so uh, I, I don't dislike this episode, but gosh dang, is it weird? Oh, I love it. It's so good. I'm trying to wrap my head around it and I cannot think of another episode that is weirder. Than I don't one. think I have loved an episode this much since maybe Heaven Sent. 
Heaven wow. Sent is the only one that I could kind of compare it to uh, in the yeah. weird category. I mean, I'm kind of right in the middle, but I, I, I'm leaning very heavily toward the liking it part. There's a couple of little things about it that were, were fine the first time around, but then you watch it the second time and they don't really kind of fall into place. But I love the weirdness. I love the, the minimalist nature of there just being basically it's a two hander. You mm -hmm. only have David and Catherine, and I love having a story built around those two characters and coming face, literally face to face with themselves and having to deal with, I, I just think I, I, there's a lot about this that I really like. Plus, aside from all that, just the, the basic stuff is the production was amazing. The set design was great. The CGI worked really well. The, the, the robot was adorable. I loved him, you know, Jimbo. And I just thought of everything about it was really, really good. Yeah, it's super hard to talk about this without being spoilerish. It really is. So much of the story was kept under wraps. Like you would not That's know anything true. about this story ahead of time. Like we know, like we know all sorts of stuff about the first one about Beep, and we yeah. know all sorts of stuff about the second one. But the, I mean, the last one about the toy maker and and all that kind of stuff. But this one they kept super under wraps. So like if you haven't watched this episode, you don't know anything about it. So it's very hard to say anything at all about it other than, you know, what we mm -hmm. like or, or not like. So, well, well, on that note, though, do you think the secrecy was warranted? Do you think that it benefited the episode or do you think that they could have promoted this in some way and it not taken anything away from? I I love the fact they kept it a secret. Now, there, there's <laughs> there, the, the one thing about this is that it just shows, honestly, how much. I hate the average Doctor Who fan. I just <laughs> because every single all right. Well, there's two big complaints. The, number one, there's like you know the homophobic, racist, transphobic complaints that are, are crazily so all over the place. Like I just wanted to watch the trailer for the giggle after watching this episode, so I went to YouTube and boy howdy, so many videos decrying about how like awful and woke and and just how bad Doctor Who is now. Just yeah. Oh. But I mean, like, disregard those idiots. But I've, I've seen so many complaints about this story not delivering on what people wanted because of the secret thing. Oh, it's secret. So obviously it's going to have this yes. in it. It's going to have this guest story. And then, and this is the appearance. That's why it's a big secret. Like, you know what? Deal with it. Yeah. Deal with it. Deal with it. Take the episode for what it is. It's not the episode's fault that you put expectations on. Nobody promised you anything. Right. So just get over yourself because I will, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, a hundred days to Sunday, I will take something like this over some sort of craptastic, like nostalgia fest of a power of the doctor any damn day. That's how much I love this episode. Like it just like it. I mean, I'm, I'm going on like my already right here. <laughs> I, I know, but it's just it just it frustrates me so much because people just they don't want new and original mm -hmm. and like good surprises just for the sake of having something new and surprising in front of them. Yes. It's got to be a surprise because you got to have fucking Matt Smith in the episode or some nonsense like that. <laughs> no, I'm so over that crap i will take the i don't want 
any nostalgia for a 60th episode, 60th anniversary episode if this is the kind of stuff that we get. Because I would so much rather have this than that Power of the Doctor special. Hell, than the Five Doctors. As much as I love the Five Doctors, like I would so much rather have like a good three episode arc. Mm-hmm with cool stuff in it, that is a better anniversary to me than any sort of like, let's wheel out all the old faces. It okay. Just, I'm, it's just what it is. Okay. I love this. Okay. So at least five times I was trying to break in here to say that one of the things that I really liked about this is that it's so anti-anniversary. It is not doing anything at all to say, look at this. We've been around for 60 years. Look at the, the, the famous people that we have in the past, like Matt Smith. And, and, you know, it's not doing any of that stuff that you think an anniversary story is supposed to do. And it's so contrary to every expectation. And that's one of the things that I like, because you go into it, you don't know at all what is going on. You don't know what's going to happen. And I thought that that was really, really, really well done. I loved it. Absolutely. Yes, uh, absolutely. You don't need all of those things for an anniversary special. However, an anniversary is celebratory. I think this episode is Mm -hmm. fantastic for the middle of a regular season. I don't think that it fits in as in an, in something that is called the 60th anniversary section. Now that said, it might make more sense next week. Right. Um, And we don't know that. Uh, But I do not think this is a celebratory episode. I do. And I believe that I believe that an anniversary should be celebratory. You do not need Matt Smith. You do not need Peter Capaldi to do that. Uh, Remembrance of the Daleks was a a fantastic celebratory episode Mm -hmm. that wasn't overdone as that. I don't think this works now as what it is. It works in in three months when we're no longer in a celebratory season. Absolutely disagree. As you were just as wrong as can possibly be. Number one, the the fact that you're you're talking about it's got to have all like callbacks and what I mean like this is a series bringing oh, I back. Didn't say that I just said it should be celebratory of the series. And why is this show. not celebratory? Like you're you're doing a three episode arc featuring you know the most popular actor to play the doctor in you know the last 20 years with one of the biggest companions coming back and you know redoing stuff with them and and bringing a more satisfactory end to their arcs and relationships and uh, you know letting them go back and, and run through like and, and we're going to talk about this more when we get to the spoilers because like we don't talk about celebratory like there's very clear demarcations between this and the stuff that RTD did back in the day. And we get callbacks to not just that time, but just stuff in the last, you know, couple of years that make me feel so much better about the last several years of Doctor Who just in the span of like one episode. If that's not celebratory, I don't know what is actually. Doing good Doctor Who that references stuff that is from the last several years maybe i mean you can't do like a whole 60 years thing you just can't but staying true to the concepts of doctor who and doing something wild and crazy that only doctor who can do that's celebratory to me and i'd take that any day well and i and and i'll give you that it is like i said it is a very very good story it's just that 
you're not wrong. So that's well, I think that's a, that. the important thing, uh, and that's the great thing about <laughs> Doctor Who is you can well I know that, <clears throat> but you're you're not wrong. I mean, you can celebrate Doctor Who by having Doctor Who. I mean, that's the great thing about the show, and you're right. Uh, going through and like have it showing exactly what the show can do is in its own way celebratory. There is, however, I believe, and you will not agree with me, and that's that's okay. I think there's like this. You know, I'm not even going to say that because it's not worth it. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go there. I, I believe it. You do not, and it won't, it won't lead us anywhere. I don't even know what the <laughs> heck you're talking about. So, <laughs> like, I don't know where that line of train was going. <laughs> I know, and I'd, I'd rather keep it that way because it, <laughs> it's going to derail, and you're going to yell at me. Um, I'm not right. Me never. so alan uh on on this idea like the idea of like celebratory versus not celebratory where where do you stand on that or or does it need to be i don't know i i of course i i think i you know i'm kind of the old school fan and i don't need the fan service but i do like the idea of like you know being self-referential in some way Mm -hmm. uh in that celebratory way i think uh, what, what are your thoughts well you know, I kind of feel like this is a a really good middle chapter. I think we're going to get a lot of that kind of stuff next week. Just the nature of the story with it being the 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 first return of the toy maker in a hundred thousand years. But we also got a lot of that last week. And I think it's okay for this middle chapter to be its own thing, to kind of bridge the gap between those two things, to kind of show new people who might be jumping onto the series because of Disney plus Dr. Who isn't just about comic book feel. It's not just about returning villains. It's also this. Absolutely. It's also greatest show in the galaxy. It's also the space museum. It's the weird and the dark that, you know, that doctor who excels at. It's also, you know, just like midnight. Midnight is still the best Russell T Davies episode so far. And this one, this one comes close and I really enjoyed last week as well, but nothing will top midnight. I will say, I think this, this, this does, I mean, let's close. I mean, like again, and and but this has a version of the doctor that I much more enjoy than I mean, yeah. it, it's still Tenet, but I, I'm, I'm liking this this version of, of Tenet's doctor much more than his younger days. And, and, and like I agree with Alan, Ashley, I think you're going to get what you want next week. The, the next week is going to give it. I mean, if you want to talk about self referential, like I'm watching this and I know what's coming next week. And I'm getting some serious deja vu because let's just think back to 2009. You get a, you know, very entertaining, like fairly comedic opening story where you're reintroducing yourself to Donna Noble and getting the, you know, two of them back together. Mm-hmm. And then you got a story that is great and dark with, you know, kind of a crazy out there concept. That's a very minimalistic uh, story with only a couple of people in it that is, is you know, and it's, it's, you know, doing scary stuff more with concepts than anything else with just a, a limited type of set. And then you get the, big finale with the returning villain like i said i'm getting deja vu which is not exactly exciting for me if everybody remembers what happened in the little story called journey's end so but that's <laughs> we're, we're, i mean tell me i'm wrong tell me i'm wrong that we cannot make a connection between 
the first two stories here and then you know with that there's that first story of uh season four at, at midnight i mean like mm -hmm. it is we're primed for the exact kind of <laughs> to arc the, the, so the, the, we'll the see big, though the big difference though is that midnight came you know, way two thirds into the season where you had all these other things that led up to it. It wasn't just, here's a fun episode. Here's a super dark minimalist episode. It wasn't just those two things in such stark contrast. Wait, I mean, obviously, obviously you were, I wouldn't okay. look at condensed, but I mean, like, again, I think you can make a very good parallel again, a lighter opening episode. Then you got a darker episode in the middle of the season and now we got the big bombastic finale with the returning yeah. villain. Yes. Okay. I mean, I totally and agree I, with you. Just... And uh, God love him. RTD has never landed those episodes very well. No, has he? No. His finales have I, not I was ever been good. Next week, next week when we discuss this, I guarantee you we are going to be turned in, in the way we, uh, we enjoy the episodes. It's going to be us taking different sides next week. Um, because I like a very you. particular, I like a very particular kind of camp in my Doctor Who, and um, I expect to have that in a good finale. Um, I absolutely, I I know I am like the only person in the world. I love the end of Journeys in finally seeing all those people piloting the TARDIS. I don't care if they're pulling a planet. I get to see all those people around the TARDIS. I love that ending. Mm -hmm. I will watch just that ending and enjoy it. I will watch Davros. Scream about a reality bomb. I freaking love it. <laughs> I mean, Horns of Nymon is one of my favorite Doctor Who stories. Yeah, we know. But I, I think that's very different than what we're talking about here. I mean, there's there's different flavors of camp. Let's just say that. Um, all right. Let's just, you know what? Let's just get into spoilers. We can't keep this going for very much longer. So... If you have, if you have watched, not watched the episode, go watch it and then come back and finish listening to us. Well, are we going to read it first? We usually do our nah. reading before we go into spoilers. We're not we're going to wait till the end. Okay. No Cause we haven't, we haven't really said enough about it. I, well, I know. So let's just rate it at the end. Let's just do okay. it. All right. Fair so enough. spoilers, here we go. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to start this off. This is a minor, minor, minor thing. But it's, I just want to get it out of the way so we can get into heavier stuff. The hads. The first time we ever saw the Hads, it's it's the hostile action, what is it, defense system or whatever, displacement system. Displacement system. And, and it activated because the TARDIS was directly attacked. And here it just lands somewhere and senses danger. I mean, if it's going to do that, it would leave in the middle of every adventure, you know? I mean, I know he's not always had it activated, but... I just don't think that I don't have a problem with that. I, mean, I know like, you don't. It's, it's a you. reason to to get the, the TARDIS out of which is I can't just leave. And I, I I thought the explanation was perfectly fine. Like normally when the doctor lands, he doesn't you know have to worry about being completely replicated and replaced. And then somebody who then would have all of his knowledge and capability to take the TARDIS and go off and do God knows what. So I've sure. got no problem with that. Sure. But you would think that the answer to that is for the TARDIS to not leave so that they can get in it and and not be there for to be replicated. But then you don't have a story. Come on. Well, okay, that's fine. But I'm just saying, come up with a better thing. And we still don't really know why the TARDIS was playing a song at all, much less no. Wild Blue Yonder. Was it just there to make, you know, give Donna an opportunity to reminisce about her 
high school choir teacher or something. I mean, I'm sure that was part of it, but I, I, I think we might hear more about that I later think we will. on in next next week. So I suspect that that's the case. Yeah. All right. That's my one like rant. That was a mild one. I've got two, you know, minor issues. Obviously, I hated the opening. Yeah, that was um, stupid. Not for the reason that the racists all hate the opening, but no, because I can't stand jokey one-off things that RTD loves to do, just like doing something crazy for the sake of a joke that really like if you stop thinking about it, like if, if they could go back in time and just like change the whole concept of, you know, referring to, to gravity as mavity, like there's so, yeah. so many implications of that as possible just for a throwaway <laughs> gag. And it just, oh, that bugs me so much. Plus I just don't think it was necessary to start out with a jokey opening I yeah, mean, it's I'm, such a weird turn from that stupid jokey opening to like what this episode ends up being. It's right. such a weird disconnect. Right. Right. But I mean, I guess because it's RTD and, you know, he loves doing his historical like guest appearances from famous people. He's got to throw one in somewhere. Yeah. But, you know, there, if it doesn't lead up to anything, if it doesn't, if, if it's not the point of the story, why do it? Well, just because he likes to have fun with it. Yeah. And because he can then do a throwaway gag with it for the rest of the episode. Or for the rest of forever. Maybe oh. maybe the word will only ever be Mavity from now on. I, like, I would commend them for committing to the bit if that were true. But Agreed. let's be honest. Agreed. <laughs> and it'll be super annoying if it's brought up just out of the blue just to show that they can do it. Right. That would annoy me. <laughs> Anyway, my other little nitpick is a nitpick that I just have. I don't, I don't know what his fascination is, but showing the TARDIS in flight, the fact that it like is constantly crashing now. Oh my god! Yes. Instead of just materializing and dematerializing, and it like, obviously we've seen the TARDIS fly through the space and whatever yeah. tons of times over the last sixty years. Like we know it's capable, but it's always been done with purpose. Why, when a giant ship is exploding all around you with a force of however many like megatons going off would you fly out of it rather just dematerialize when you have a ship this whole purpose is dematerialization right that's right. a completely minor nitpick i know it's for the cool visual i love he know he loves that look because he's been doing it ever since he started but it just it bugs me a little bit <laughs> well but there was a lot of weird tardis things in this one you know it was like you know, David is standing in the doorway and pedaling it forward by, you know, putting his foot on the ground outside the TARDIS, you know, just stupid stuff like that. Yeah, so but just, he did that before. That was that was done in the Runaway Bride. That's a callback to the Runaway Bride. No, I don't remember that at all because I it's, I don't think I ever rewatched that episode a single time. <laughs> but he does that on the highway well, on, the, on the Runaway Bride. Oh, it's I exactly don't the remember, same thing. I don't remember him doing the Fred Flintstone. I remember it like levitating, like going alongside the car, but I don't remember him pedaling it. But that's I, like, I seem to remember it he being, was, he was flying it with like a rope or something. Like yeah. I mean, but this is like well, the same type of concept. It's, it's just, he's same he's idea floating though, it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Anyway, people listening to this are like, Oh my God, just go back and watch the episode and know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and fair point. Anyway, <laughs> again, those are the two little minor things that keep it from being like, perfection to me i i i really i love the concept it's such a 
Lovecraftian faction mm-hmm. paradoxy thing to do. And that's my bread and butter with Doctor Who. Like mm-hmm. just, you know, find them out on, you know, this abandoned spaceship on the edge of the universe where nothing exists and just having this strange, crazy, like nothings, not people show up and start trying to copy them so they can go and, you know, wreak havoc in our universe. Oh, that's great. I love that kind of stuff. Yes. Yes. Agreed. I also liked that even though they land and um, the doctor pretty much just says, Oh, I think we're on a spaceship. There were little hints that it could be something else. Like when you see the, the, when you hear the first word on the overhead and the configuration in the ship changes and he says, Oh, it's almost like a circuit board. And I thought, Holy cow, what if they're in like an enormous computer? And, and this is like the, the, the computer system, at work and i thought that would be the coolest thing ever so it kept like misleading you into not thinking that you're on a ship which i thought was really cool yeah no i mean like visually i mean obviously I mean, there's some cgi that will probably not age the best but i mean that's you know yeah, one of us doctor I'm, not worried about that, I'm not worried about that either but i mean i you definitely can tell it is very much doctor who made in a like post Star Wars in mm-hmm. Marvel Disney Plus show era. Yes. And um, I, I think it looks great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm not I'm not wasn't really talking about the look of it. I was just talking about the way that it, it sort of like um, once he's decided we're on a spaceship, they can, it kind of gives you ideas of it could be something different. Sure. And I love the idea of them being trapped inside a computer. And maybe becoming part of the program or something. That's, that sounds like a cool idea. Maybe we'll do that sometime. Maybe one day we'll get our Who Tron episode. Right? <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I really like about this is that the first thing they did was lose the sonic screwdriver. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's something that hasn't really been done in New Who, uh, at least that I can right. think of. Not very often. Well, um, it, it did and, happen once before, <clears throat> but it was replaced by Sonic Shades. So it, you you don't get the effect right. of not having it. And in the episode they reference, like, I can't get us out of this. I don't have this. Right. And that's when the Hads thing comes up. It's just like, I can't call the TARDIS back. I can't do that. I can't. Yeah. You know, and, you know, he tries to get a screwdriver a few times and it's not there. Uh, and I thought that was actually a, a pretty, and I also enjoyed the, uh, the way that the Sonic like interfaced with the TARDIS, right. To fix it. Like the Sonic was part of the TARDIS. Yeah. And we see that, uh, throughout this, the show, uh, but we don't really get, they don't really play with that very much. And, and I like the idea that the Sonic and the TARDIS are kind of together, right. Um, it's, it's the Sonic comes from the TARDIS and the Sonic is part of it. And the Sonic can help repair the TARDIS. And, and it's funny that we got all of this stuff last week with the, uh, you know, the, the cool Sonic mm-hmm. screwdriver effects or whatever. And then they completely take it out this week. So <laughs> yeah. that was, uh, that's an interesting kind of, um, way to go about doing that and i thought it was a great way to do that as well with it being kind of the the fix for the tardis yeah but it's interesting that they 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 remove it from the story by also giving it yet another previously unseen feature you know so they're still expanding yeah so he's still expanding what the Sonic can do, but at the same time, taking it out of the story, which I really like because with this story, your, your two main characters are completely isolated. And even without the Sonic, 
I mean, he doesn't have his normal go-to. And it also shows you that you don't need that damn Sonic to have a good story because you have a character who is good at figuring stuff out. You know, I sort of long for the days when the doctor has to solve a problem. And, you know, going back even to series one with Eccleston in the Slovene episodes, when they do the narrows it down scene where they're saying, where they're like compiling the things that they know about the situation and somebody will call out something and, and the doctor goes, that narrows it down. And it's, compiling all these facts and making sense out of them. And that's what the doctor does best. And that's why I wish we would just get rid of the damn Sonic completely. Yes. JNT had it right the first time. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, got, I, I do sell like, those toys. <laughs> I do like that the Sonic, yes, they gave it something new, but it was something that like, it felt like we just hadn't seen it do before. Right? Yeah. It, it wasn't so out of the ordinary and it kind of, to me, it kind of calls back to, and I can't even remember which story it was. Uh, you know, the Sonic gets destroyed and they're like, Oh, you're Sonic. And he goes back into the, into the, uh, the console room, presses a button and a new one comes out. Yeah. Right. And he's like, Oh, I got it. Um, uh, <laughs> that was a David Tennant story. Wasn't it? I think it's been a while. Um, uh, I can't remember, but anyways, it's just like, you know, that it is part of the TARDIS, the TARDIS, creates it and and does that and so it makes sense that that is part of the healing process so yeah it's not like it's not like last week where we see completely new things that we had no idea that no, it does that's true this kind of makes sense to me that that, that is what it yeah is. because but, it yeah, because yeah. it has that connection to the machine quote unquote that created it yeah, I agree. But it's funny because we saw stills from of this, you know, of the the doctor standing in front of the TARDIS with the Sonic in the keyhole, and fans just were like, "Oh my God!" Now it's even a key for the TARDIS door. Well, guess what? It isn't. <laughs> Don't judge from one still image. <sighs> There's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one other little, little tiny teeny complaint. Um, that I didn't pick up on the first time. I only noticed it in rewatch. Um, you know, every time you hear the countdown over the overhead and everything shifts and the robot takes a step forward because he's walking toward the, uh, the button that he has to press. The first time we ever encounter him, you hear the, the, the first number and the countdown, you see the, the ship reconfigure a little bit and then the donna donna and the doctor you like talk up a little bit and run around and they go back and find the tardis has gone and then they drive the little car down to see jimbo and then jimbo takes a step not as part of that countdown and i i didn't i, I never I didn't, really saw like the countdown having to do with him his taking his steps but I every, never, I never every saw other them time that's when it happens well, I think that's an editing thing just to like give a, an idea as the countdown goes down that he's mm. also moving forward. I, I don't mm. know if I ever really saw a direct connection between like the number comes and then he takes a step. Yeah, well, that, that there is a direct connection. I just think it's weird. I mean, obviously that it not because it happened well, the first time differently. So obviously there's not a direct connection. Well, there is every other time. That's what I'm saying. Again, because it's that. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily inconsistent other than a shorthand of showing as it, as it comes up, he moves. So, I mean, I mean, I, I guess I get what you're saying, but I yeah. mean, like, again, just because it happened differently one way and then another way doesn't mean like there's any sort of direct correlation, I don't feel. 
Joshy, I know there are times when you would have seen something like this and you would have gone off the rails because it wasn't right one of those times and it was inconsistent. Hey, so let me have my thing, man. I, I'm, I, I, I'm not saying that you or Ashley can have your wrong opinions. I have no problem with you having your wrong wow. opinions. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you know, why disagree? You know, that's just the way it is. <laughs> anyway, anyway, let's let's talk about something that is actually good about this episode. And I want to talk about the doctor because I have given David Tennant a lot of hell over the years about his betrayal of the doctor. I, I think David Tennant is great. I, I love him and all sorts of other stuff. I think he is great. I've just never really been a fan of the 10th doctor because it always felt like he had one of two modes, which was either like manic, hyper arrogant, you know, flamboyant, like, you know, king peacock or sad crying in the rain in a doorstep doctor <laughs> and we're not getting that here like you know he feels much more in this episode like you know obviously a direct comparison could be made to like this in the satan pit where you know he's lost the tardis both times mm -hmm. and you know could not potentially see it again i mean he, he doesn't know like he's he's making some assumptions that maybe it's the hads and whatnot but whereas on the same pit he gets all like dreary and mopey and just so emo about it here he's you know he he reacts more realistically more like like uh, he, he he's concerned you can see you can see the concern on his face but also i was like well you know we're here well, let's go exploring and, and see what's going to happen and see if we can't uh, resolve the issue and hopefully the tardis will come back mm -hmm. and i it's just it feels like a much more even keel approach he's still got a lot of his mannerisms but they're not as exaggerated and they're not as yeah. annoying to me um and i really love the way that he reacts um you know when he's you know talking to the fake donna and having to face like what's happened to him in the, Me too. the chibnall ears and like we finally get some like implications of like everything that happened with the flux and everything else that actually has affected the doctor and like his little breakdown where he beats on the wall like it's so good yeah i agree those uh, and particularly the discussion with Donna about the flux was one of my favorite moments of this story because it, it actually sort of made sense of the flux. Mm -hmm. It actually seemed like the flux had some kind of consequence and, right. and not just, not just universal consequence, which we also have never really seen before now, but personal consequence for him. And I thought it was really, really well handled. An extension of that, you know, even bringing back the, the stupid timeless child thing, like the, the fact that, like when when Chibnall was bringing up this whole timeless child thing, it's like almost like oh pitch pause whatever. You're the doctor, you could just deal with it, and it doesn't matter where your background from. But like you've been around for thousands of years, and you think that you are who you are, and all of a sudden you find out that you're not. Of course, that's going to have an effect on you. Why wouldn't it? And the yeah. fact that we never actually got any any of that in the Chibnall era like is astounding. Like you want to mm -hmm. bring this big revelation and then try to say, "Oh, well, it's not a big deal because they're a doctor." I mean, like I guess I get that concept, but realistically, someone's going to have to like face that at some point. And just I mean, like we don't ever really need to even see it again, but just to know that it is there and that little bit of reaction that we get mm -hmm. from Tenet, I think makes it so much more palatable uh, to take. 
I loved that moment where where fake Donna is saying something about where you're from. And he says, well, we all know all four of us know where I'm from because we've already said it. It's Gallifrey. And she goes, but you're not. You don't know where you're from. That was so powerful. That was so that had so much weight to it that I don't ever think I got out of the flux. Exactly. And it was one sentence. One sentence. It was the way it was delivered and the way that the other actor reacted to it. It was so good. So good. I mean, you know, I can say what I want to about Archie, but I can't deny just like how he can run circles around Chibnall. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I actually really did like what they did with uh, the the creatures that we're, we don't really know who, what they are. Uh, they are, to me, actually very reminiscent of of uh, the great vampires in a way. Uh, they, it feels, and, and honestly, the story... Uh, kind of harken back to State of Decay in a, in a, a way for me, and that that's a story that I I like quite a bit. And there's mm -hmm. this fear, there there's this this strange fear that like kind of uh, runs through the story, uh, a fear uh, that the characters are experiencing, um, uh, a fear of the unknown, uh, a fear of like when when the uh, those those creatures can't get into the room that they're in. Well, why are you looking at us that way? Why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you reacting? And and the, and I do think that plays very well. And it goes back to what you said, Josh, uh, you know, kind of this Lovecraftian kind of feel. And, and it is, you know, this derelict. I've always liked the idea of like a derelict spaceship and something on it that is just uh, menacing and you don't want it to get out. Right. It's stuck there. You don't want it to get out. People want it to be forgotten. And that's the only way to save whatever. And to me, it felt it, ju it just kind of. As I was watching that, it felt very much like like if I found out that this was some connection to uh, to the, the the vampires or something, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me. Uh, and you know, Doctor Who does have a uh, history of these kinds of things: the the demons, the uh, the great vampires, uh, the Eternals. All of these things are, are are this this kind of mysterious thing that we don't necessarily know everything about all of these things we see them very little in the tv show usually once or twice uh and we don't get anything uh, out the satan pit is another example of that that existential evil um and i do think i do think that is done very well and the fear is conveyed mm -hmm. through the characters in this i think i think we kind of do get that connection though sort of a tangential connection to the vampires and to all these things that you're talking about because at the end of the story the doctor says, oh, man, I invoked a superstition at the edge of the universe where the walls are thin and anything can come through. I think that maybe this is sort of a for those of us who know a hint toward this is how some of these other things have maybe come into our universe. I mean, I don't I don't see it being far fetched at all that that's what whether he intended it or not, it's easy to take it that way. Yeah. And I mean, I'm going to bring something up. And if you, you know, had about 40 minutes into the episode before Josh brings up Lawrence Miles, here we are. Because Lawrence Miles wrote a book called Christmas on a Rational Planet, which is all about all of these things from outside of our rational universe that the Time Lords had kind of like, you know, tucked away and kept out of our universe and they, you know, kind of make their way back in and they've got all sorts of grand powers. And that was one of the first things that I went to watching this is like, it's just mm. an example of that kind of concept. 
um, of something that unknowable, understand something that we cannot understand from outside of our rational universe coming in. And I mean, like, again, you know, not that I think that Lars Myers has all the best ideas, but he's got a lot of great ideas. And this is kind of like, you know, putting that into type of concept into play. So obviously I, I really, really enjoyed it. And it's, it's such a good creepy thing to do just because of, you know, you've got familiar faces acting creepy and weird. And then you've got, you know, the, the physical distortions that you see in them from time to time. Um, it's just, you know, not like overtly scary, but, you know, you know, enough for a family TV show to like really make you unsettled. Um, and just the, the way that they moved at points, like when the, the not David Tennant goes like, you know, on all fours to go running after them and things like that. like that really worked for me as far as being, a very creepy, just unselling image just to see, you know, a, a human body kind of act that way. Like when Tenet like bends himself over backwards and is chasing Donna around like on all fours. Oh, it's a great little moment. <laughs> so creepy. But, it, you know, even more so, um, I, I like the subtext of using these monsters because really if you you know, look at the service of what the episode is about, which is obviously about, you know, aliens coming in when take over or whatever, but really it's about trying to reconnect with somebody you haven't seen for a long, long time, because the whole crux is the doctor and Donna trying to be able to recognize which one of them is real. But at the same time, like they haven't seen each other in forever. The doctor's been through all sorts of stuff. And Donna's 15 years older, living this different life. And, you know, they're having to kind of make assumptions about who the other person is based on their previous knowledge from, you know, 15 years ago. And I mean, you think about any time you've ever had to try to reconnect with somebody you haven't seen in that space of time. I mean, I, I've, you know, had somebody that I was super great friends with back at um, elementary school and a couple years ago, like we tried to reconnect and it's just weird trying to make up for all of that lost time and space and you not really knowing like this was the same person that you used to know or not. So, you know, you take that kind of concept and turn it into a monster story and this is what you get. And that's the kind of thing mm -hmm. RTD is really good at. That is true. And I'm, I'm jumping off of that. I thought that what was really great about this is that they they do have those moments of um, honesty, of revelation, but it's always with the the not real other person. Right. <laughs> when they're actually talking to, oops, sorry, when they're actually talking to each other, they just say stupid stuff like, so, you know, what happened for the last 15 years? And he's like, well, you know, a lot. But mm -hmm. when, you know, he's, when fake Donna, like brings up a thing about the not knowing where he's from. He all of a sudden his walls come down and he lets loose this flood of, you know, I know it wasn't my fault, but you know, I, it was, it's so interesting. The dynamic that you, that you see between these two people in these different configurations and the different things that it brings out of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's another good thing that Russell can do. Yeah. I mean, Again, I've complained 
all sorts of stuff about his stories in the past, but like he gets emotional character connection like nobody else. You, you, you can't take that away from him. Well, sometimes way too much. Well, and, yes. And I don't true. think that and I don't think that this falls into that category. A lot of no. times he just like way like dives right into the deep end of the melodrama pool. And I think that everything in this episode was realistic and good and made sense and was true to the characters and the situations that they had been in. And I thought it was so well handled. Absolutely. And again, we come back to like I was talking about last week about how like hopeful this makes me that, you know, he is curbing a lot of those over melodramatic tendencies. I mean, obviously, he's still going to have the things that he does that will inevitably annoy me. But I mean, two times in and he has done the things he's good at without going over the line. And I've. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm a full convert yet. Like I said, we still have next week to go to see how he lands this thing. And I'm not exactly, you know, based on prior experience, I'm not exactly confident that's going to happen, but I'm extremely hopeful. <laughs> yep. Agreed. You know, and, and that's a really good point. Like, and thinking about it, if you compare that to, um, uh, school reunion and what he did with, uh, like reconnecting with Sarah Jane, which I always thought was very good. Uh, and done fairly well. Um, I, I do like, I, I thought saw a lot of similarities in the way he was reconnecting with Donna and this to the way that he was connecting with Sarah Jane and that story. And I thought, I thought, I, I think it's interesting that now we have a new series companion that is that far off that we can, uh, that he can now reconnect with that, <laughs> um, with that, that companion. It's, it's strange that the series has even been going on that long. That's what happens when you get old, Ashley. Here we are. <laughs> so I will say, I was very surprised that Donna did not lay into him crazily at the end because he did not pick her. Like <laughs> I agree. Like I found that very odd because the Donna I know would have been so mad at him for not yes. picking her. <laughs> yes. I also want to say, and I know a hundred percent in my own mind that this would never ever have happened, but they set it up where Donna was going to get her Ray moment where the, the thing has been activated. The bomb has exploded. The fire is coming to toward her and she's just standing there because there's nothing that you can do to escape it. And except the doctor comes and rescues her. But had that not happened, this fire would have just eaten her alive the way it did Ray on that beach at the end of Rogue One, which was the most powerful moment of any Star Wars movie ever. And had they had the guts to do that with Donna, I mean, Never I, I, a million years. I, I know that I know that because all these people, all these people who have like mourned and just been angry about the fact that you know, Donna had her mind erased 15 years ago and how cruel that was. And, and, you know, what a cruel stunt it was for Russell to pull that to get her back last week and then kill her off this week would have been phenomenal. I would have loved so, I mean, not because I dislike Donna. She's actually one of my favorite new series companions. I love her, but I just think narratively that would have been the most amazingly brave thing to do. And I kind of wish it had happened. Or it would have been a great cliffhanger also, right? That too. To let it let them go for a week and be like, well, I have, or, you know, 
take the the thing back, it can it turns into the toy maker and does its thing, and then they have to find a way to get Donna back. Like that also would have been mm-hmm. uh, would have been cool because you have this week of people just being like, what what? Seriously, you're not going to do that, but um, yeah. that would have been a good cliffhanger as well. Yeah. So then the doctor does come back and rescue the right Donna and kicks the wrong Donna out of the TARDIS by flipping her up with a ramp, which was just silly. But then they make it back to Earth, and who's waiting for them but Wilfred Mott? Oh, my gosh. You know, after getting a silly intro and then basically 50 minutes of a really dark episode, then you're kind of rewarded with this really, really wonderful reunion and... I mean, it was so perfectly played, I thought. And unfortunately, that's all we're going to get to because he did. Yeah, not that's the- that's that's the thing. Like, I guess I he's know. not going to be in next week's episode, which is a weird thing to think about. It is that uh, especially since like, they're in a scene standing right next to him. Right. <laughs> that's so weird to me. How they're going to explain that away. I don't know. It's, I mean, like I probably at time it'll be it'll be it'll be it'll take place in three hours or something. I'm sure. Well, I mean, it's just like, like I, I get wanting to, to bring him back and show him again, but it's going to be so weird not to have him in that episode next week. Right. After doing so, like, I, I mean, obviously you're in a position where like, you're kind of screwed no matter what you do. Like, obviously you could have taken him out and reshot it with somebody else and have it be, make more sense. And, you know, Wolf still, living in his retirement home and whatnot and maybe yeah. they fake a phone call to him or, or whatever but uh i don't know it's, it's not a good situation either way i mean like it's just it's sad honestly just it that, really that's what is. we get i do kind of expect there to be a body double in a wheelchair that you don't ever focus on it's only behind them or as he's like going off camera or whatever. And then maybe we do get some reference or a, like you say, a phone call at the end of the episode. I think that's, that's kind of what's going to happen, but we'll have to see. But I thought it was a sweet moment. It was, I loved seeing the doctor react to him and I love seeing him, you know, seeing the doc. I mean, I mean, they played it exactly the way that you want to see it. You know, there wasn't any big surprise until a, a big jet like crashes in the middle of London. (laughs) It was good to see him again. I mean, like, feels pretty celebratory to see him like that, I think. Ooh, celebratory, you say. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm an asshole. (laughs) Oh, God, that's funny. All right, so what are we thinking about next week? Just like, what would you like to see? What do you predict we might see? You go first, Ashley. This is your. This is the one you're wanting. What do you want? Uh, I I don't know. I I mean, I don't think we're gonna see a lot of. We're we're not gonna see any. You know, like past doctors or anything like that. I I nah. think uh, I think ultimately, I I I always hold out hope for, but doubt it will happen to see like uh, Carol Ann Ford, uh, because why not? Now there's some things I I do the thing that is unthinkable and I kind of look ahead and see spoilers and so so I won't go into that. Um but so I think I but I do think uh there are things that um that, that I don't know. I think it's going to have a um I think it's going to be interesting. Like I think that's 
just based on, I mean, and I've, I've seen contradictory things that I don't know what's real or not, but um, I, I do think it's going to be, uh, you are going to see that celebratory piece, but uh, a little bit, uh, but I think it's going to be kind of um, you getting a, a um, I think they're going to really set up for the next season. They're going to look for, they're going to look ahead and look le- They're going to look more ahead to the future instead of to to the last 60 years is what I believe is going to happen. Yeah. And, and I think that's proper. I think that's the appropriate way to go with it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I think I'm probably going to be disappointed after the high points that I, I, I felt. I mean, I, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know. It'll, it, it'll be, it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fun. I'm sure we'll get lots of great effects pieces and, and, and things like that. And, you know, we'll, we'll see unit. We know we unit's going to be in it. And beyond that, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, I hope I'm surprised, but I'm, I, I'm expecting to, to not, be. I mean, it's, it's a weird position I find myself in because normally I'd be absolutely dreading this. Like, I have been burnt by you, RTD, with your season-ending <laughs> conclusions, arc yeah. stories, so many times before. And yet, you've made me want to believe over these last two episodes. You've made me yeah. want to believe. Because I, I feel like he's really coming in making a statement. Whereas, like, because again, it would have been so easy to come in and do these specials and just trot out all the old faces and old you know, enemies and, you know, made this into just a, a greatest hits type of, you know, trilogy of stories, but he didn't like, I got to give him mad props for that. Like he didn't, he, he could have taken the easy way out and he didn't, he went for something different. Like it's almost like it's this bold statement of like, I'm here to you know, like reset Doctor Who, and I'm not just going to do what you expect. Mm-hmm. And I res- and you know, and I respect that a lot. So yeah. I'm hoping, I'm hoping again. I know better than to expect what, but I'm I, I'm hope I, I I'm really <laughs> conflicted. So we'll see, we'll see how we we feel next week. One thing that Russell has said is that this is essentially the series finale for these seasons, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This is the season finale of New Who, and that's why we're starting with season one uh, next season. That's why they're calling it season one. Uh, and so it is. I think it's very much like you said. It is kind of this closure piece uh, to to that. And I, I think that's where – I think that's the way uh, uh, Russell is looking at the these three specials. And um, just kind of setting up for what is next. And again, that's why we're they're calling it season one. Well, that and because of Disney Plus. Yeah. And just I mean, they're, they're, well, that's yes, why they're doing because it. of that. They're also I, I think there is going this is going to feel final. That's going to feel more final than than other stories. The other thing about this is that all the trailers that we've, well, the, at least the first two major trailers that we saw, which seemed like the first one was like a year ago at this point, all had Shooty in it, in David Tennant's clothes, mm-hmm. basically saying, well, someone tell me what the hell's going on, which yeah. implied that you would see him within these three specials before yes. a regeneration. So I'm wondering if we're going to actually get him 
other than a regeneration scene. I mean, it might not be, it might just be that that's his reaction to regenerating, which wouldn't make any sense because he's done it 15 times. He knows what it's about. I mean, like I, I, again, I expected coming into these episodes to, to have like, number one, to have the toy maker and all of them and the toy maker be behind like the yeah. reason why he's looking like David Tennant again. And then, you know, Me too. you've got like, you've got like the, the real next doctor, like stuck in limbo somewhere and, you know, right. trying to figure out like what's going on. And he has completely subverted that. I was like, yes. it just seems like, Oh, he just became tenant because subconsciously he is trying to turn back time after everything that he experienced over the last several years. And you know what? I think I'm actually okay with that now. Like Mm -hmm. I I didn't like that idea before. Obviously there had to have been some sort of reason for him to, to look like that. But like, if it is just a, obviously he, he has a way of, you know, choosing his appearance. He's done it before, like subconsciously. And the, the fact that this is just a reaction to everything that he's learned about himself as far as like, I'm not who I thought I was. And maybe I just want to turn back time to where like I had all the answers. And I, when I was David Tennant, I had all the answers. I knew everything that was going on and I want to try to recapture that subconsciously. Like, I think that is just like a wonderful little character beat. If that's what they go with. And I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Or we could still find out that the toy maker was behind this we whole could, thing. But just if we like, don't, like it works for me. It's just no, as I'm, well. right. And I'm saying just like in um, Fenric, we found out that Fenric was behind a lot of the stuff we that we saw before with Ace, even though we never saw the character in any of those stories. So, you know, I think there's potential for it to go either way. And I think it's I'm, I'm looking forward to whichever way it ends up being. I think it's going to be great. All right. So let's give it a rating, gentlemen. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make Josh go first this time. So Ashley, why don't you tell us what your rating is? So, so you guys have kind of changed my mind on this. Like talking this through is love it. Gotten me a little. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think I probably would have given it before, like walking into this, I think I would have given it a six. Um, but now I, I honestly, I I do. I always thought it was a good story. I just, yeah. I still don't know how I feel about it being an anniversary story, which is what it is billed as. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I, I, it, it is good, uh, and it, and it is up there with kind of those good stories with those existential evils and you know Fenric and and all those things. I think it's very, very close to this. So uh, I think I'm going to give it a an eight and a half. Eight, eight wow! Point, eight point Look five. at that jump! All right! Wow! Yeah, that's, that's a jump! jump. Yeah. Damn, I'm surprised. Well, I I review based on what the episode actually is, not what expectations I bring to it. So, uh this was phenomenal. I mean, obviously I'm I'm predisposed to liking anything like cosmic horror, um, you know, and out there and and weird anyway. And I, this one just nailed the tone. Um, I thought the acting and it was brilliant. Like the, we've got our two main cast also playing doppelgangers and just, you know, two way a T bringing the, the strangeness and the menace and just like, there's some great little moments with David Tennant as the evil version of the doctor. And he's got some great lines, just some great reactions. And, I, I love the concept, um, you know, just 
the, the, the way that the doctor is in this episode and the way that he acts and how he is the tenant doctor, but you know, a much more palatable version to me. And I, and I love his, you know, the fact that he just can't help himself. He's got to explore and he can't stop himself from like figuring out the big twist at the end. And no, even knowing that that's going to, you know, give the bad guys what they need to try to win. Um, it just, oh, it just all worked for me really, really well. Again, I think this might be my favorite RTD episode. And I, I mean, I have to go back, but I, I, I can't, think of an RTD episode that I liked as much as this one since midnight. And I think this just edges it out because I like this version of the doctor better than the one that's in midnight. So it gets a nine from me. All right. Well, I mean, I love, I love the weirdness of it. I love the atmosphere. I love the unexpectedness. I love that you can't predict where the story is going. I love that you have to figure it out along with the doctor having to figure it out. And, and I love the way that the combination of these four opposite characters play off of each other and, and, and needle things out of each other. And I love the tension of it. I think it was so well done. And I, you know, there's just, as we've said, there's everything about this is great. There was a couple of little nitpicks that I had, but they don't, spoil my enjoyment of the story at all. I don't find them to be a, a distraction at, in any way. Um, and, you know, the first time I saw it, I was like, you know, I, I kind of like this. I, it, I really had to sit with this one for a little while. And, and those are the stories that usually come to the top for me, the ones that I have to really kind of come to terms with. And this one, I wasn't sure about, I, I liked it, but I wasn't sure how much I liked it. I wasn't even sure if it was one that I would ever really go back to and rewatch. I watched it again this afternoon so that I could prep for uh, our discussion tonight. And I found that having had that time to sort of ruminate over it, how much I really enjoyed coming back to it and seeing it with a, a different set of eyes than I saw it the first time. And um, so I, I'm going eight and a half on this one because man, it was, I wasn't, I'm really, really impressed with, um, what we've gotten so far. And I think of these, I mean, we've only gotten two of the three stories, uh, as far as the 60th specials go, but this one is definitely the top so far for me. I've watched this episode three times since wow. Saturday and I haven't watched the doctor episode three times in a long time. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I've got some Capaldi ones that I, I definitely did that with. And and a couple of, there's some Jody ones too that I, I really have loved and, and have watched a few times Look, back. There's still some Jody ones that I haven't even finished watching all the way through. So I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, I have a few Jody ones that I've not watched one time. So uh, Oh, Ashley, yeah, you've got to at least see them one time. And has nothing to do with her. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. I just. Yeah. All right, so... What can we expect from Josh's spinoff media corner this week? Well, uh, we're dealing with uh, a doctor and a companion on the edge of the universe by themselves with strange things going on. There's really only one story that I can think of to recommend to even come close to recreating that uh, type of feeling. And it is a story called Scherzgo. Um, featuring Scherzo. Scherzo. That's that's not what I said. I did that right. Little story called Scherzo. 
whatever. It's a hard word to say. What do you want from me? <laughs> anyway, by Rob Shearman, featuring yep. the Eighth Doctor and Charlie as they enter the Divergent universe, and things get very weird very fast. Um, and it's a mostly it's a two hander story with just the doctor and Charlie in it, uh, reacting to the weird things that go on around them. Um, it's a story that uses the audio medium like exquisitely. It's, I mean, it's, you know, oftentimes with big finish, they're just, you know, stories that, you know, are thought of as being visual, but you're just only hearing them. This one takes the fact that it is an audio only medium and really runs with that. Like it's, it's central to the story. And it's just got that weird feeling that I think Wobbly Yonder has. And so if you want to get some more of that, that's what I'd recommend. I had a feeling that would be the one that you'd go with. Yeah. So I'm patting myself on the back for predicting that one accurately. <laughs> yeah, can, I also add, can, can I also add, add something? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, so, uh, our mutual friend, Martin, uh, actually turned me on to this and this was, and I mentioned this to you earlier this week, um, uh, Alan, uh, there is a comic story, uh, called, it was a, it was a, a pickup comic in the old, uh, Doctor Who magazine called mm -hmm. Voyage to the Edge of the Universe. And, uh, this, this story, um, has a, a demon, uh, from from Demos, uh, uh, and it and it goes to the edge of the universe, and it sees itself, and it find there's another version of itself, and they have a conversation, and eventually they have to do this. It's very very reminiscent of this story, yeah. and I'm thinking Russell was reading a lot of those old comic strips, uh, and we know that the, you know because we had the story last week, and uh, I think I think this was probably. Um, quite an inspiration for that uh, story uh, for this particular story. It is, I've not been able to track down an actual copy of it. Uh, I have it, but it is in a place where I can't get to. Uh, <laughs> so uh, when I actually do uh, get it and read it, uh, but Martin did read it and, uh, and I've read the synopsis of it and it is very, very um, reminiscent of this story as well. Uh, kind of weird. Now it doesn't have the doctor in it, yeah. but it has, uh, has other uh, doctor who elements to it. And, and I hadn't read that before. I wasn't familiar with it. So I was really intrigued by that when you shared that. I was like, yeah, that, that sounds like conceptually it's right alongside Wild Blue Yonder. So if you enjoyed Wild Blue Yonder, there's a couple of things that you can go and invest in. And if you didn't like Wild Blue Yonder, well, go and look at these other things anyway <laughs> and see if you like those better. <laughs> and if you didn't like Wild Blue Yonder, don't come back next week. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> No, you have to come back next week because I think that we're going to have an interesting discussion next week because I think we're in for something very RTD, but in a, maybe a new way. I hope so. Yep. So, you know, it's going to be RTD, right? But hopefully it's new RTD. <laughs> All right. So let us know what you thought about Wild Blue Yonder and let, let us know what you thought about our review of it. Drop us a line at Dr. Who A to Z at gmail.com or just comment on our Facebook page or wherever you found our episode. We will be back next week and take care. See you then and enjoy the anniversary season. Be seeing you. We'll see you soon.
Thanks for listening to Doctor Who A to Z. You can find episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, and other podcast networks. Theme remix used by kind permission of Doctor Who composer Dominic Glenn. We'd love to hear from you, so please drop us a line at Doctor Who A to Z at Gmail or leave a comment wherever you're listening. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe and consider leaving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. See you next time. And until then, remember, we're all stories in the end. Just make it a good one. Yeah.